This is the Santita Jackson Show. Now, these are not black folks. No, no. This is someone from Kennebunkport, Maine. This is someone from France. This is someone from Canada. This is someone from Florida. These are white people. And that is significant because you just have a lot of tension in the United States. And I think we need to talk about that, particularly that is focused on the police. And I bring that up because we are running a campaign in the United States, in in Chicago um, and in New York and in L.A., around law and order, around the police. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Why was this activist, environmental, this environmental activist shot at least 13 times while he was in the forest? What, how can you justify that? So let's talk about that. And let's talk with John Nichols, of course, about this Wisconsin uh, Supreme Court race. Progressives got a big, 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 big win. They control 54% of the court now. So what does that mean? What does that mean? And um, how will that play out in Wisconsin politics? And, of course, he's going to give us his thoughts about what's happening here in Chicago. Everyone, please, you can vote now, uh, not just on April 4th, but leading up to April 4th. So, please, you can do on-site registration and, um, and voting. And get the high school seniors to get out and vote. Those who are 18 or who will be 18 by April 4th, have them get up and get registered and vote. They can just go and vote, and they can get registered at the same place. That's right. Let's appeal to our high schoolers, too. They need to get out and vote. I'm Santita Jackson. It's a joy to come to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I want to hear from you today. I want to hear from you about how we maintain law and order. I mean, if... Are we too militarized by the police? That is what some people are saying about Cop City in Atlanta, that this is a symbol of the over-militarization by the police. You know, you want the police. You hear me say it often. You want them to have your back. You just don't want them to be on your back, right? So, everybody, please like and share the show. Daryl and Carol and Joyce and Jewel and everybody, Andre, everybody, at least share it with some, with one person. Go on and share the show. Share the show right now, right now. And, of course, meet us over on YouTube, the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel, and on Facebook, Santita Jackson and Friends. It is March 7th, Tuesday. Let's get right to it. In Chicago, it will be 40 degrees. Partly cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 37 degrees. It will be cloudy in the NBA. The 76ers will be playing the Timberwolves tonight. The Bulls will have the night off. In the NHL, the Chicago shut out the Senators 5 to nothing, and the Flames will be playing the Wild tonight. According to CNN headlines, back-to-back winter storms over the past week have overwhelmed several mountain communities in California, leaving residents trapped behind walls of snow and concerned about their dwindling surprise. The Sierra Nevadas can see up to three inches of snow through today. Wow, everybody. Fox News host Tucker Carlson aired newly released footage on his show Monday, yesterday, from the January 6th, 20. 21 U.S. Capitol attack that included images of the rioters known as the QAnon shaman, as well as Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who died following the attack. What do you think about that, everybody? Should 
all of the outlets gotten this footage? Let me know. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy granted Carlson access to more than 40,000 hours of the Capitol security footage from January 6th. And why is that important? Because the person who, the people, if you give it to everybody, they can all shape the narrative as they see fit. But whoever you give it to, they shape the narrative. Think about that, everybody. Good relations between Beijing and Moscow are essential. China's foreign minister, according to the CNN report, said on Tuesday, alarming some U.S. officials. Uh, So what do you think about that, everybody? Uh, the, The Chinese official said the more unstable the world becomes, the more imperative it is for China and Russia to steadily advance their relations. This comes amid warnings from U.S. officials that China is considering sending lethal aid to Russia for its war against Ukraine while America does the same. Ouch, 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 ouch. Under pressure, East Palestine organizers uh, have forced Norfolk Southern to agree to limited temporary relocation of those who live within a one-mile radius of the train disaster. What do you think about that? It's only temporary, and there are thousands more who want the same kind of relief. What do you think about that? They're having to press, they're having to press, but... It's not over yet, everybody. According to the New York Times, though no final decision has been made, the Biden administration is considering restarting the migrant family detention program. Wow. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. So excited to have Pastor Stephen Thurston. We've been battling through some audio issues today, but I believe he is with me right now. Pastor Thurston? Okay, he's there, but I don't think he can hear me. And but if he can hear you, oh, okay. If well, if you can hear me, just come on up and give us the good news. Board operator, just let the let let Pastor Thurston know that they can come up. And yes, let them know. Hey, everybody! I just want to stop by to remind you that you're equipped to keep going. I believe the people who are the most satisfied in life, alive, and we generally feel most alive when we propel ourselves out of our comfort zone and seize some new possibilities that are connected to meaning, excitement, and passion. Unfortunately, we're wired to do what feels easy and safe, and it rarely feels easy or safe to be a beginner. Truth is, no one wants to feel like Bambi. You remember Bambi taking that first step, wobbly, weak, inept. You don't want to feel like that, feeling like you could fall over at any moment. Neither do we like feeling vulnerable, thinking that others are sitting back judging us. We want to feel competent, confident, and proud, like we know what we're doing and we're doing it well. But that's not usually how it works when we're just starting out with something. I remember several years back when I got back into my equestrian activities and got a new trainer, being embarrassed that I couldn't get my horse to respond to me, to do what my trainer was requesting of me. And sensing my frustration, my trainer made a pivot in our process. She immediately helped me to complete something so that I could get my confidence back, which then motivated me to continue. It's such a simple idea. And yet it was so incredibly powerful in that moment. Think about it. How many times have you tried something new and hard, felt overwhelmed, and then decided it wasn't for you? 
that first day with my trainer, I expected instant perfection because I'm a perfectionist and because this wasn't my first rodeo on a horse or with a trainer. But it had been a few years since I'd written at this level. With this mindset, I'd set myself up for failure, not just in the moment, but also in the long run. Thank God I had a new, amazing, aware, in tune, and emotionally intelligent coach. Based on that quick pivot she made in that moment, I now understand the importance of creating an early wins and continuing to create small wins over time, which I've learned requires me to do following. I've got to adopt a growth mindset, start small, hold reasonable expectations, avoid comparisons, and give myself credit. And if you want to feel more alive as you stretch into new territory beyond your comfort zone, this is the path to seeing it through and not quitting out of frustration or embarrassment from not getting it perfect from the start. Proactively choose to build yourself up for doing whatever you did, no matter how small, and you'll be more likely to do the same or even more tomorrow. Then you'll give yourself more credit feel even more motivated and slowly over time become the person you want to be and do the things that you want to do. You're equipped to keep going. I hope you have an amazing day. Oh, I appreciate that, Pastor Thurston. Thank you so much for that because I know that's, um, it stopped me, it made me sing in fits and starts, right? Um, And yeah, you know, because I had people very, very close to me say things that were really detrimental you know you don't sound like aretha you know it's just all of these things that were just so um that were damaging um or when i first lost my biggest chunk of weight and actually i'm the smallest i've ever been we were at an event and this person touched me on my stomach and said Mm -hmm. you should never wear anything like this even though everybody else when they saw me they were like you look fantastic right yeah. And, and, you know, you also have to keep your environment clean, right? That's right. <laughs> so, so, that is right. And if someone's not trying to build you, they're trying to break you. you got to keep it moving. How can we see you on Facebook and engage with you on this Facebook? It's a wonderful Facebook Live service that you have. That's what it is. It's Thanks. a service. Don't get upset with me. Go on. <laughs> I know he's like, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> You can catch me catch me this Friday and every Friday at three PM Central Standard Time. My Facebook page, Stephen. That's Stephen with the PH, Stephen Thurston. Catch me there Friday, three PM Central Standard Time. I'm in a series on leadership, Santita, and I've been helping people in leadership with change management and managing transitions. And so this Friday I'm gonna be talking about the difference between transition and change. Ooh, okay. I love that. If, please, yeah. if I can, I'm going to try and join you because I need that. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm in the midst of change, but I have something else to do on Friday. But I'll tell you about that later on. <laughs> We're going to have lunch. <laughs> I love it. We are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love you, Pastor Stephen Thurston. When will you be preaching at New Covenant again? I haven't. I'm on, I'm on a little break. I haven't received my next assignment, but I'll let you know as soon as I get the date. That's right. I'm going to call your father myself. And your mom. That's right. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Go straight to the source. Go to the mom. <laughs> Go right there. Oh, we have we have the same struggle, my darling. That's all right. It's all good. But we're learning. 
Well, we're, we're learning under the best. We love, right. we love, we love them. We love them and we love you. And we love all the work that you do. And thank God that you're available to God to be used in such a magnificent way. We've got Dr. Shanina Knight, an infection preventionist with us. And I have a quick question for you. And I yield a longer answer, but you've got five minutes to go on for it. I've, I have been on a diet since I was about five or six, right? And the first time that I found out that I was hypoglycemic, Oh, my goodness, I was in my early 30s. I mean, I've had access to great health care, everybody. But one of my dear girlfriends who lived over in France for many, many years, she's an opera singer, she said, you know what, you need to read Dr. Atkins' book. Haven't you noticed that when you're out with, you know, some of your rich girlfriends, they eat a slab of beef and a spear of asparagus or, or some broccoli? a non-starchy vegetable. Mm. And after I read Dr. Atkins' book, I found out, I said, wait a minute, I fit squarely in the category of, category of someone who's hypoglycemic, hypoglycemic. And um, it turns out that I was, which meant that I was on the flip side of diabetes. I could have flipped into diabetes at any time. And going into, I became one of Dr. Atkins' patients, and it changed my life, quite frankly, because even when I ended up having weight loss surgery some years later, I found that he was right. Fat doesn't make you fat. Sugar does. Right. And so now Weight Watchers is buying a pharmaceutical company so they can ostensibly give Ozempic, this diabetes medicine, to the people who are on the program. Dr. Knighton, what is it with sugar? You know, because as I as I was reading, uh, as I've done my reading, and, and I'm a I'm a, I'm evidence of it. You know, it's sugar that stops weight loss. It's su- it's the sugar that makes you fat, or the or the foods that your body interprets as sugar. What is the deal with sugar, Doctor Knighton? Good morning. So, sugar is. I, uh, I ain't gonna lie, you got a big area, okay? Yeah. Um, so it is. So one of the things to think about is that it's not something. So meaning, like our body in itself has the amount of sugar that it needs. Meaning, we have it, you know, along our spinal column. It goes to the brain. So that is good sugar, or the sugar that we should have. However, one of the issues that we have within our body is that fungus thrives on sugar. And I know that I've talked about this before, um, in that it thrives off of sugars that are not natural. So we're talking about like glucose, fructose, you know, sucrose, maltose. Think about, you know, when you see the high fructose uh, corn syrup on the back of a container, what happens is is that these sugars within the body start to then contribute to fungus. Um, it's also that thing when it's contributing to fungus, if our body is heavy with fungus, then that fungus causes our organs to have a dysfunction. And with having a dysfunction, it then means that our body is not regulated or working in a proper manner. And so that's one way is that the fact that sugar can affect fungus. And so we have, like, let's say, a normal flora or what should be in the body when it comes to Canada. 
But then when you have an overabundance of sugar, that Canada then tends to overstay its welcome and start to do the body harm. And so when you mention sugar and its negative effect, sugar is not the only bad thing, but it's important because just as I mentioned before, it can lower the immune system. It can throw the body's um, chemical balance out of whack by it being too sweet, per se. And as a result of that, if it's throwing the body out of whack, you then start to run into other issues because it's not functioning in the manner of which it should. That sugar then, when it is in the body, when it's in the blood, not being able to burn it off, it then converts to fat, just as you mentioned, and its conversion to fat is the reason why we have so many issues when it comes to sweets and other things is because our body has an inability to be able to break it, break it down. And so we'll have, like, let's say, and I'm trying not to get into the weeds up here. It's a tough one. Well, no, but I want you to hold on. Hold on. Hold on one second, because we're about to go into a hard break. And I want to give you a couple of minutes on the other side, because... You know, even when you have weight loss surgery, you got to get rid of the sugar, everybody, if you want to lose the weight, because the surgery will not work if you are eating the sugar. I want you to know that. So I had to ask her this question. We're going to have to have an extended conversation about this, but I wanted to wrap up her thoughts when we get on the other side of this break on the Santita Jackson Show. Back in just a minute. You're listening to WCPT 820. Because facts matter. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. We were talking about sugar, and I promise you we're going to have a, a more extensive conversation about sugar and and weight loss and, you know, now these drugs that uh, that impact blood sugars. are They have an impact upon weight loss. I mean, that's how these the Hollywood stars are getting very thin now. But quite frankly, um, if you want to lose weight for a big event, I mean, you want to lean out, you have to come off sugar. I mean, that's those are the things. But just in, a, in about a minute or so, uh, Dr. Knighton, because we need to have a more extended conversation about this, because I know when I had COVID, when Dr. Deb had COVID, you said, whatever you do, get away from sugar. Get away from it. Don't touch it. <laughs> and I just said, wow, we have to watch this, this sugar thing right here. <laughs> Dr. Knighton? Yeah, we do. I'm sorry. I was listening to you. You absolutely right when we were talking about Dr. Dan, but... Yeah, it's a tough topic to go into just because I know it's something that is involved in absolutely everything that we do. Yeah. I'm telling you, like, there's effects. Like, when people try to have their body detox from sugar, it's... I can tell you it's the hardest thing. They get all of that, and people don't have an understanding of why it's happening, but it is because of what it does to the body. And so you would be surprised what happens when people eliminate sugar or minimize the sugar as much as possible. And I know that's not something that people want to hear, but when we think about everything that sugar is in, the fact that you say, I'm going to have a sandwich today, 
and you don't realize that that contains sugar. When I can go on and on and on, you could you could be having your dressing on your salad, and you're like, okay, that's sugar, and I didn't realize it. You could say, oh, I'm going to add a couple of croutons. That's sugar, you know? So there's so many things that are even within our diet that we really just don't realize is contributing to that sugar factor in a regular manner, that then when we do have that overdoing of it, whether that's desserts, whether that's we're having too many cocktails, it has a negative effect in the body if it's done over time. Dr. Shanina Knight and everybody, hey, Dr. Nina, at H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A, and I promise you, tomorrow I want to have, I really want to look at these these, uh, these drugs that people are taking uh, that regulate your blood sugar. They're, they're for people who have diabetes, but people using them, people who don't have diabetes are using these drugs to lose weight, and they're losing a lot of weight. That's with Kardashians, okay, supposedly. Yeah. And I want, I want to yeah, talk about that. Yes, and we yes. should because there's always unintended consequences. And so my concern is always literally at the end of the day, you cannot cheat your body and you not cannot cheat your diet. So that weight might come off. But if you do not adopt good habits, then you have other issues to worry about, such as cancer, such as a rebound effect of being able to get diabetes. It's like there's so much to think about, Santita, and people have to recognize that while those drugs are meant to help, if you are misusing them or assuming that they're going to take the place of correct eating, then you're wrong because they cause a lot, a lot of negative effects for people that people are not talking about. And that rebound, diabetes, or weight gain are real things. Mm. Dr. Shanita Knight and everybody, we're going to have a more extensive conversation on sugar, on sugar. We've got to do that, everybody, on azucar. Absolutely, got to have it so that we can all be as healthy as we can be. Because now um, a lot of people are taking these medicines, and you need to know what you're doing. And if you're going to do all that, you might as well just get the sugar out your diet so you don't have to be on the meds. Get it? All right. Love you. <laughs> Love you, Dr. Knighton. And, of course, Shapurl, uh, of course, you're getting back to celebrations by us and delivering the food. I love it. I love it. I love it. Doctor, oh, excuse me. I'm about to make you a doctor, Shapurl. <laughs> Shapurl Celebrations morning, How are you doing? I'm great. And, yes, Celebrations by Us is ready and rocking and rolling with our food again. So please give us a call at 708 708- Five two six four five four six seven zero eight five two six four five four six. We can handle all of your food and decor needs. So please call us if you need anything. For we're right now gearing up for prom season. I know it's March, but hey, people actually book these events early because they know how busy we get. So we do balloon arches, we do floor arrangements, we do uh, custom treats as well as also uh, custom backdrops. So call us at 708-526-4546, 708-526-4546. We look forward to serving you. Thank you so much, Santita. So, so many blessings to you. Hey, everybody, what about Cop City? This is an 85-acre settlement in Atlanta. The City Council of Atlanta uh, said, okay, you could have a developed police training unit. And people all over the world have said, no, 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 no. Uh, you're too militarized. America, you're too militarized. And so there was a young man, Manuel Deran, who was, who's an environmentalist, who was an environmentalist. And he went to the site along with others. 
and he was asleep and he was shot nearly at least 13 times. He was killed. The first environmentalist in the history of the United States to be killed by the police. And so now you have 35 people who were arrested, detained over this protest that turned violent outside of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. It's been dubbed Cop City. There were some French citizens, some Canadian citizens, a young man who's the son of a wealthy surgeon from Kennebunkport, Maine. You can't make this stuff up. Massachusetts, New York. What's going on? It just almost feels like anarchy. So let's pivot to an Atlantan, but, you know, of course, someone who has a national and international voice on court TV. And, of course, uh, on WAOK, she'll be on air at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time today, pivoting right off of this show, right onto her own. Uh, Attorney C.K. Hoffler and, of course, Dwight McKee. Dwight McKee, of course, you had to, you knew you had to be on the show today when I'm talking about the police, and we have Attorney Robert Patillo. Uh, but, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, what is going on down there? Good morning, Santita. What's going on is complete chaos. You know, um, a lot of people were concerned. These environmentalists, this is the first time in history, as you said, that an environmentalist was killed and shot for protesting. But this group were essentially protesting the militarization of police and the militarization of, you know, um, the environment, really, if you will. They were environmentalists because of the area where Cop City is being constructed is an environmentally safe and protected area. So that's the environmental hook. But also beyond that, um, people were protesting because of the militarization of, of, of police forces. Because if it happens here in Atlanta, it's going to happen elsewhere. Florida is just aching, aching, aching. DeSantis, this would be a wonderful thing for him to do. He'd love to know aching, drive. CK. <laughs> oh, did I say Florida is well positioned and the governor is very would be very interested in replicating this. And the fact that a young man was killed during a protest. Now initially it was a a nonviolent protest, mm-hmm. but as it does happen from time to time, it did evolve into a violent protest. People were um, injured. Um, a police officer was very badly injured, allegedly this young man, and I say allegedly because I haven't seen the evidence of this, and, you know, there are body cams that are missing, people can't find body cam footage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or the cameras weren't turned on, but allegedly he shot at a police officer, and then he was shot 13 times, allegedly by multiple police officers. So I mean, th- uh, at least 13 times, CK? Who gets 13, shot 13, at least 13 times? At least 13 times. I mean, there could be more, again, the body cam footage is, is missing in action. There's a lot of evidence, and this was chaotic, but there's a lot of evidence that would routinely be at shootings and, and um, protests because, you know, the protests are typically, um, there's a lot of camera footage, whether it's police camera or surveillance, and um, a lot of it is missing, so we don't have all the details. But as a result, and this is what's very interesting for Georgia, um, and this would be replicated elsewhere, 35 people have been arrested in connection with the attack and are being charged with domestic terrorism. So we need to put this in proper perspective. These um, people who were protesting are being charged on the same level as the January 6th protest. Mm. So I just Everybody? Do- 
I mean, it's just, well, that's why I bring this up, because there's a spirit in the air. I mean, and we're running for office on law and order. And he's the first environmental activist to be killed by the police in the history of the United States. He was known as Little Turtle, known to be someone who was nonviolent and um, shot at least 13 times. His parents had to his parents had to have a private autopsy. And they said at least 13 times. I said, wait a minute, who gets shot at least 13 times? Robert Patillo, what is going on? Uh, well, it's, it's an interesting situation that we've run ourselves into here in Georgia because after the um, uh, police called it um, officer-involved shooting where the individual, uh, according to police, shot at an officer, wounding him, and then he was uh, shot during the protest. These um, protesters had set up an encampment um, basically at the site of the proposed cop city. Um, and, uh, and this, um, uh, OCK was about a month ago, a month or so ago, when they decided, uh, were after the shooting, they rioted in downtown Atlanta. What started as a peaceful protest uh, ended up in you know burned cop cars, windows being broken, uh, uh, houses or storefronts being uh, broken into, uh, et cetera, and protests thereafter. And that's when we saw the Georgia. Secretary of State uh, and the uh, Lieutenant Governor all come out and said that they were going to crack down on these individuals and charge them as domestic terrorists. And we say they're charged the same to January 6th protesters. Remember, most of January 6th protesters who were uh, convicted in these cases were convicted of things like pre- tra- trespassing, um, unlawfully entering a government building. Very few of them, if, if any, I believe, have been charged with domestic terrorism. Indeed, last night on Tucker Carlson's show, they released some of these cherry-picked footage that uh, was given by uh, Leader McCarthy to Tucker Carlson to, I think, 40,000 hours of, um, of footage and showed police officers walking the January 6th uh, uh, rioters through the Capitol, helping them out. So just as we all suspected, it wasn't just that these were wild people from the country. This was an inside job where you had individuals within the Capitol Police, within Congress, who were helping the insurrectionists attempt to overthrow the government. So even those people are being charged with less than these the protesters from the uh, the cop city protest. And one of the biggest issues is that many uh, there's never been a popular support for this training facility uh, from the people of Atlanta. The previous training facility is way down near Macon, Georgia, nearly two hours south of Atlanta. Um, There's been major questions about why it has to be in this location, uh, why we have to continue to keep militarization. Of course, uh, we need better training for our fire department, which will be included in this, um, better training for our EMS and paramedics, um, better training for police officers, because we always say when we have this officer-involved shooting, we need better training. But there's a difference between better training and uh, training a paramilitary force, which is intended to tap down protests. This is something you'll see very much see uh, in Maoist China or that you will see uh, in North Korea or the uh, the Iranian secret police from the Misa um, Amani um, protests from last year. So the city leaders are going to have to come back to the, uh, the people of the, uh, of the region and make it clear that there is no other alternatives to this as well as articulating why deadly force is necessary for environmental protest. Uh, Not to mention this question about 
who shot the officer in, in, in question. Clearly, the police officers was armed, were armed. There's really no evidence that's been released publicly to indicate that the protester was actually armed. Um, this very much could have been a situation where uh, you had friendly fire by officers that resulted in the shooting death of this individual. And then when people protested the shooting death of this individual, you had dozens charged with terrorism charges, and even more charges continuing to come down, um, which is proving the exact point of these protests about the ability of the American police force and the need for reform throughout the system. Mm, Dwight McKee, what do you make of this? I mean, it just seems like there's a, it's a, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the time. Something is going on. You have someone from France. You have someone from Canada who was part of this group. You have someone from Kennebunkport, Maine, where the Bushes live. Uh, someone from Massachusetts, New York. Something's going on, Dwight. Well, in the 60s and the 70s, you had an assault on the government from the left. You had the uh, the underground. You had the um, uh, groups who, Bernadette and, and her husband, you had the white groups who had really assaulted the government and burned down FBI files. And uh, they really became almost a vigilante group. Then in the 2000s, you had an assault on the government from the right, which is what you saw uh, in uh, McVeigh and what you saw at in Washington on the 6th. I think the last thing the establishment would want is to bring these both groups together at the same time and you begin to have assaults on the government from the left and the right. Uh, that is really a seed for revolution and chaos. And it seems as if we're on the verge of that because in order to maintain itself, the status quo is oppressing both the left and the right. And I think as you know, things take shape, and as um, there become more and more and more of these issues, I think that you run a real risk to uh, to invoke that in such a way as that I don't remember any time in American history when the government was under assault, both from the leftist groups trying to protect things like the environment and trying to demilitarize and groups from the right, who in many ways are trying to do the same thing, not with mm-hmm. the environment so much, is they want to demilitarize Europe. They want to become more nationalist. They want to bring the jobs back to the United States. This is going to be becoming a very interesting phenomenon. Mm, I mean, it, it seems like the right and the left are beginning to find common cause, though, Dwight. I mean, you see the right and the left coming together on Ukraine. They just had this march. There were a few thousand people there, but it's it's something. And um, it just, I just thought it was very interesting that they would have this, that they would have this, this kind of, uh, that you would have these people trying to blow up the, the police training facility in Atlanta. I mean, that's a lot, Dwight. I don't think that's inconsequential. Do you? Oh no, absolutely not. And 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 as you have situations 
occur, you're going to find it to be more frequent. They try to build a, a, a lichen facility here in Chicago. And I think that if, if, if Valis win and all of the energy goes into uh, military occupation and law and order, you're going to begin to, be, to see signs of that same resistance. Um, no, I don't think it's inconsequential. And I think, as he, he was trying to say a minute ago, it may be the sign of the times. Mm, uh, Robert Patillo. It just seems like it, because it, it seems Robert Patillo... This is not the New York Post, of course, they have a right word skew. But, you know, I read everything, you know, because I want to hear what everybody's saying. I I look at Tucker Carlson. I look at Laura Ingram. I I look at Rachel Maddow. I look at, you know, Chris Hayes. I look at everybody. I look at everybody. Joy, read. I want to know what people are thinking because people have their biases and they have their points of view. And I appreciate that. Somewhere in between all that, you find out some kernels of truth. <laughs> and I just think that it's very interesting that this is happening at this time. You know, that these people have, they feel emboldened Robert Patillo. I, I think it's more so than, than just emboldened that we're coming to this place of conflagration, where, as you said, we've had all these various different movements kind of coalescing. I think people forget that the 60s didn't become the 60s, uh, like on January 1st, 1960. Uh, it took a few years where you have the uh, the, uh, the confluence of the students' movement, the gay rights movement, the women's rights movement, the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, all coalescing together to start doubting the veracity of the system. Uh, and that was the true fear of the U.S. government in the 1950s, that the system itself was now coming into question. People uh, were no longer as compliant as they were during World War II, during the, the greatest generation. Um, this new counterculture generation started to really question the legitimacy and kind of the, the raison d'etre of the government in order to, um, and their ability to lead. Uh, we're seeing that happening right now, where, as you said, we have the right-leaning movements who are saying the government is lying to you. You have the left-leaning movement saying that, well, the government is definitely lying to you. You have the, the human rights activists and civil rights activists saying uh, the government is definitely lying to you. You have the anti-vaxxers saying the government is absolutely lying to you. And because of this, faith in our governmental institutions, faith in our media institutions are at an all-time low. Uh, people now have decided the reality is pick your own adventure because you can find news that will support your point of view. You can find people online who will support your point of view. And basically whatever you decide to be reality, you can find enough proof and enough proof and enough evidence to really convince yourself or anyone else that that is indeed what exists. And we have, a, have had a governmental system, a societal system, that really has not had the ability to keep up with these changes to the social uh, order of things as they are. So these protesters, um, and again, uh, almost none of them, I believe, who have been arrested are from Atlanta. Uh, mm-hmm. When the initial reports came out, we saw the media saying, well, BLM is out here rioting, not a black person involved anywhere. And At I think all. that is what it's starting to get. 
that's what started to scare the establishment that, well, this isn't just black folks being mad about the police shootings. These are wealthy people from, you know, Kennebunkport, Maine, or from all over the country. Um, that this is why Marjorie Taylor Greene filed a bill this week to declare Antifa a terrorist organization, not the MAGA movement, not the people who assaulted the Capitol. They wanted to declare Antifa a terrorist, a domestic terrorist organization because they are now afraid and quaking in their boots that if you not, aren't just having black people being shot by the police and uh, riding over uh, police brutality, but now you're having wealthy white people join the fight, well, then after the coalition, they don't know what they can defeat. Hmm. I mean, CK, you're going to have your work cut out for you because I I can foresee people from the right and the left needing defending. Uh, it's just there's it just it. I just I could not believe that when I saw it. And when I saw at least the partial roster of the people who were involved, I said, wait a minute, something is going on out here. I mean, because we now have a we we could very well have Paul Vallis as mayor who's running on um what is it on on law and order? Uh, and indeed, Eric Adams from New York, who I like very much, know him personally. He used to protect R- Reverend, my father, down through the years as part of the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. Have always loved him and appreciated him. That having been said, law and order. I mean, that's what's happening out here. But yeah, there is this pushback against it. There's a pushback against um, that kind of governance. And um, I'm just wondering where all of this is going. You know, I mean, will law and order triumph? I mean, what's going on, CK? I've got about a minute before we go to break. Well, I don't know that law and order will triumph um, because I think there's a, and we talked about this yesterday, there's, there needs to be a retooling, retweaking fundamentally of what's happening in our communities, starting with education, starting with, I think their police training should be good, but not militarization of the police. You know, this whole discussion of defunding the police is a misnomer. We don't want the police defunded. We want them better trained. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's different from militarization of the police, creating a military state. And so I think that before it gets better, it's going to get worse. Unfortunately, Atlanta might be a training ground for this. What do you think is going to happen, everybody? What do you think is going to happen in Atlanta? What do you think will happen here in Chicago? Call me at 773-763-9278. And then I have another question for you, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, Attorney uh, Robert Petillo, and Dwight McKee. What about Republicans seeking oversight of Georgia prosecutors? What will? How will this impact Ms. Willis? I mean... I mean, I want to know about that. So much is happening. You don't even... <laughs> girls trying to figure out what to talk about every day. It's the hardest thing because everything is coming up at one time. So, everybody, I want to know if you think, A, uh, are we too militarized in the United States? Call me at 773-763-9278. Are we too militarized? And what about Republicans seeking to have oversight over a prosecutor who might indict President Trump. How will, how is that going to play out? And then, of course, John Nichols talking about this Wisconsin Supreme Court. The progressives now have the majority. What will that be? So much to talk about on the Sam Tita Jackson Show. Thank change you. Change the world. Change the world. Oh, yes, we can. We can change the world. We can change the world. Change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. 
Cannot wait to talk with you on Thursday as we uh, talk about our health. Our health. That's right. You don't want to miss it on Thursday afternoon here on WCPT. I am Santita Jackson. I want you to meet my morning stars over on the Santita Jackson and Friends page on Facebook and the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. Everybody like, share, and subscribe. Please like, share, and subscribe as we talk about really what's happening in the world. We are running for office, law and order, and you've got people trying to blow up uh, police training facilities in Atlanta and pushing back against what they call the militarization, uh, the over-militarization of the United States. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? And then Fannie Willis, prosecutor in Atlanta, says she's got a case. She doesn't say it, but everyone's saying she's got a case against President Trump. What's going to happen with her? The Republican legislature has said, look, we are going to limit her powers. How's that going to work out? How's that going to work out all the way around? I mean, he said he'll be your he's going to be your retribution. He said that at CPAC this weekend. There's so much happening. I want to know what your thoughts are. Call me at 773-763-9278. What about uh, what about the police? Have we been over-militarized, everybody? Mm. And what would happen if President Trump were to be indicted? What do you think would happen? Call me at 773-763-9278. And, of course, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be talking about the big win that the that the progressives got in Wisconsin. The Supreme Court, C.K. Hoffler, as she comes on WAOK this today at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, 10 o'clock Central Standard Time. Uh, there was a big win in the Supreme Court. Uh, that's right. They have more progressives on that Supreme Court than they have conservatives up in Wisconsin. Mm. In Chicago, we'll have a high of 40 degrees, partly cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 37 degrees. It will be cloudy. In the NBA, the 76ers will be meeting the Timberwolves. The Bulls are off tonight. In the NHL, Chicago shut out the Senators 5 to nothing, and the Flames will be playing the wild winter snow, everybody, according to CNN, back-to-back winter storms over the past week have overwhelmed several mountain communities in California, leaving residents trapped behind walls of snow. Who would have thought that all of this snow would be landing in California? Fox News host Tucker Carlson aired newly released footage on his show last night from the January 6th. U.S. Capitol attack that included images of the rioter known as the QAnon shaman, as well as Capitol Hill police officer, excuse me, Capitol police officer Brian Sicknick, who died following the attack. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy granted Carlson access to more than to more than forty thousand hours of this Capitol security footage from January 6th. CNN and other news organizations have also requested access to the footage. They do not have it yet. And East Palestine, Ohio activists have pushed Northern Southern to relocate about a thousand residents, impacts, people living within a one mile square, one mile radius of the crash of the Northern of the Norfolk Southern train. But it's only temporary, everybody. And people who live beyond the one-mile radius are saying, we need relief, too. The fight continues, everybody. The fight continues. And the Biden administration is looking at reviving the migrant family detention program. Those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. And, of course, we're talking about financial freedom. I'm going to have David Hochberg here next week so that you can talk about why you should use why you should get a credit card and not use that debit card, mm, how you can get access to uh, real building your credit so you can buy a home. If you are a first-time home buyer, that is, if you have not owned a home within the past three years, 
there's a special program that Team Hockberg wants to introduce you to. It comes from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. If you've not owned a home within the past three years, you need to call Team Hockberg at 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID, your trusted local lender. First-time home buyers, if you have not owned a home in the past three years, this program is for you. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac want to turn the numbers around. That is to say... Uh, the numbers of home buyers in the United States continue to decline. A couple of years ago, it was 34%. Now it's down to 26%. People cannot afford to buy these homes. Well, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac said, we're going to help you to do this. And this program could end at any time because the interest rates could change at any time. So you need to call Team Hockberg at Team Hockberg at 855-56-DAVID so that you can get in on this program. There are substantially lower rates right now. And if you live in the Chicago area and earn less than $105,700 and you have not owned a home in the past three years, and if you have not owned a home in the past three years, you are eligible for this program, everybody. Call Team Hockberg at 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID. Amazingly low rates, you can qualify for them. And this is a chance to build generational wealth for you, for your children, for your grandchildren. Please call Team Hochberg because this program can expire at any time, at any time. So they want to help you to get in, 855-56-DAVID, or visit them at 56david.com, 56david.com. These interest rates will not remain this low forever. They won't. Everybody, we are talking about the militarization, the militarization of the United States. Uh, we have people who are running and winning on, what is it, on uh, on law and order. What do you think about that? What do you think about that, everybody? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. And, um, and what do you think about this prosecutor in Georgia who is in line, in line to uh, to maybe indict former President Trump. He said he's going to run anyway. And uh, the Republican legislature is trying to limit that. They're trying to stop that. What do you think about that? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Robert Patillo, you were making some points about this. Um, and just really, uh, I'm just wondering about this militarization in the United States because you have people who are proudly running as law and order candidates. Um, as Even though here in Chicago, the crime rate was starting to drop, but that's not what you heard. Everybody was saying that crime is raging under, under Lori Lightfoot, and that's, it just wasn't true, but that's the national narrative, and it gets everyone all wound up, and here we are. Here we are. So talk to me. I mean, what what is going on? I mean, and how is it? Because now you have people from France and Canada, from Kennebunkport, Maine, from Massachusetts, from Florida, I mean, from New York, who are setting fire to a police training facility. They're like, no, 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 no. We don't want you to do any, no more. They talk about defunding the police. I mean, come on, Robert Patillo. Well, I think what you're saying is, as me and Dwight have said for a while, that it's, it's it's turning. It's starting to look like the 2020s will be the new version of the 1960s in America. As in that period of time where you have extreme social changes and extreme reactions to social change. So what we're seeing today is a reaction 
to the to 2020, when you have the Freedom Summer after the murder of George Floyd, where you have so many corporations saying they're going to do something about police violence, you have so many governmental agencies and officials saying they're going to do something about police violence, where you have the, uh, so much of middle white America afraid in their homes of seeing this minority uprising around the country. And instead of just getting mad and going out there and responding, they entrenched themselves and decided, well, we won't do this in the streets. We'll do this at the ballot box. And they started running these far right wing, uh, uh, heavy governmental stormtrooper types of candidates nationwide. They started running the black girl magic mayors out of cities around the country. Houston Lance Bottoms, through the she ran, didn't run for reelection on the crime issue. Um, we saw Marilyn Mosby, the prosecutor in Baltimore, where the police turned against her uh, after the Freddie Gray uh, situation, her prosecution of police officers for misconduct, and they ran her out of office. We've seen the same thing with Lori Lightfoot, and I can go down the list, but we'll run out of show uh, if we talk about that number of things. It's almost like we're watching Star Wars, where the first movie is A New Hope, um, and that was 2020, but now we're in The Empire Strikes Back, where Darth Vader wins at the end, and where we're seeing this response with even more militarization, even more draconian um, policing efforts, where they've now scared white people uh, in middle America so much into believing that there's this rampant crime spree that now they can put in any sorts of tactics necessary to tamp down the counter-revolution. And I'm the, this intersects with what's happening with that January 6th committee because the new footage we're seeing shows that law enforcement itself has been infiltrated by white supremacist organizations. Law enforcement itself was part of the cabal of people that we've said from the beginning plotted and planned and put together that insurrection that led these quote-unquote protesters around the Capitol, showed them where they needed to go. We all, all of us who lived in Washington, D.C. for any period of time in our lives knew that some, a bunch of random people couldn't just walk up into the Capitol and not be shot. The reason they weren't shot, the reason they weren't arrested at the time, because they had people on the inside working with them. So what are we to do as citizens when we're trying to regulate law enforcement, but law enforcement is helping the people trying to overthrow the government? Then this was the greatest failure of that January 6th committee of two years of work. And then instead of trying to get the rod out of law enforcement, instead of trying to get the rod out of the military, they made it into a political propaganda game of just trying to get Trump and win an election instead of actually trying to solve the problem of these uh, these insurgents that exist within law enforcement that was exist within our uh, government, which exists in our Congress and the United States Senate, that until we can do so, we're going to continue to see the militarized fights taking place. It may go down that the cop city protests will be the Kent state of this generation. Mm, why do you say that? It's not received a lot of it's not received a lot of play nationally. But, you know, when you read the local papers, it seems like it's a big deal. Well, it's a huge deal because, as I said, these individuals rioted in downtown Atlanta a month ago. They set cop cars on fire. They, uh, you know, broke building, destroyed destroy property, and they're being charged with domestic terrorism. When these trials start taking place, I think that's when you're going to start seeing uh, more national attention. Uh, you know, it's been wrapped up in Ukraine and the Super Bowl and, uh, uh, and the Trump prosecution, etc. But when these trials start taking place with these, you know, young white people who are charged in these cases. If you look at the uh, list of people who have been arrested, most of them were born 
after the year 2000. So we're talking about young white people in their early to mid-20s who are being charged with domestic terrorism, with domestic terrorism for being environmental activists. And I think that will make international news. And remember, what after Kent State, that was the moment that white America realized that it wasn't just a uh, black issue fighting against the government. It wasn't just a gay issue uh, fighting against the government. It wasn't just a communist issue fighting against the government. It was everybody fighting against an oppressive imperial police state, and they need to take up arms against them also. And I think that this may turn out to be that moment for this generation. Mm, Dwight McKee, what do you think? I agree with everything Robert just said. And we said uh, one of the things that, that people laughed about that we said on uh, January 6th is one of the reasons that the police is taking so long to get to the, the, the scene of the crime is because a lot of them got to go home and change clothes oh. and put their uniforms on and come <laughs> back because they are part of the riot. <laughs> and people laughed at it, thought we were kidding. But one of the issues that's going on in Chicago now is the fact that a policeman and his twin sister, uh, who's on the police force now, was part of the riots. People are not talking a lot of time talking about the guy the other day who looked like a leftist got on the tried to get on a plane with a bomb. Oh my! And was going to blow up the plane, and they were able to catch him. But there is a, a a subculture that is getting organized now to, to to go heads up with the establishment. And and as I was saying a little while ago, is one or two of those two more of those train crashes is going to incite the same kind of response from Middle America. Because they've been lied to and told that this stuff is not toxic, toxic, and this that 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 these um, residue is not poisoning them in the water and the and soil. They see that community become become Flint, Michigan, and and they see that they're not immune from these environmental catastrophes. They're going to become more and more uh, militant and more and more demanding in terms of environmental change. And again, you're going to see this conversion uh, of the left and the right, not necessarily around the same issues all the time, but in the pursuit of government assault in defense of the issues that they believe in. And what's going to happen with Trump, again, is they're going to see the Trump thing as a conspiracy to keep him out of the race. And and, and, and you're going to see the vigilantes rise up in their own protection of democracy, and they're going to see themselves as the true patriots. <laughs> what will happen if Fonnie Willis... The district attorney in Atlanta, what will happen if she's removed? Many say, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, that she is this close to indicting former President Trump and certainly people extremely close to him, right? Um, it just seems like it, wow. 
what 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 are these what will these bills do? Will they have her removed from office? Will they limit her powers or both? Well, I think if those bills do pass, and remember, we have a, a Republican led and controlled legislature in Georgia. If they do pass, they will attempt to severely limit her her power, but they can't limit it retrospective retroactively. I mean, that's what they would attempt to do. I think they might have difficult time doing that. But they want to orchestrate a recall of Fonnie Willis. See, that's the thing. And Fonnie Willis, we're talking about law and order. She's a centrist. So she's somebody, like many prosecutors, who did run on a law and order. You know, there's a lot of crime in Atlanta. And she is pretty unpopular amongst the rappers and people like that. Because, as you know, there have been indictments, there are trials ongoing, involving high-profile, very popular rappers in the city of Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta has become the haven for the rap community. I mean, and, and I say that in a, in a great way because it's the new Hollywood, if you will. You know, you've got Tyler Perry here. You've got most of the big rappers somewhere somehow come to Atlanta or established in Atlanta. So where there's been crime among that rappers have been involved in, in Atlanta, she's taken a very, very harsh position and she's prosecuting them without a question. So there are many forces that are converging to get rid of Fonnie Willis. And, um, but the most significant is the Republican-led legislature and those who believe that she's going to try to bring down Trump. She's looking at the evidence. Remember, this was handed to her by a Republican, the Secretary of State. This is not something that she thought. And so there are a lot of people who, one way or the other, whether you like Fonnie Willis or not, believe she's doing what she's supposed to do. And she's not standing down. A different prosecutor would have just stood down, perhaps, and said, I don't want to be involved in this political, this is going to be a political nightmare. But she's not. And so I think there's going to be a lot of support against this bill, just in terms of the concept and the principle having nothing to do with Fonnie Willis. Because if you start limiting the power of prosecutors, and there are now 14 black prosecutors in the state of Georgia, up from five. So... You know, a lot of this has racial overtones and undertones as well. So we just have to be mindful of that. And it's going to be, um, but it's going to be a huge fight, a huge fight. If they succeed in passing this, I think there's going to be a huge fight, but I don't know that it's going to stop her. A recall might stop her, possibly. But what if her successor comes in and does the same thing? So I don't think that they will accomplish what they want to accomplish, because the more that they attack her, the more she's going to dig in. She's simply not playing. <laughs> Robert Patillo, what do you make of this? Uh, I'm going to give a quick anecdote of a case that I had um, where I was defense counsel. Fonnie was the supervising prosecutor. I had a client who was 16 and was involved in a, a series of robberies in Midtown Atlanta. We had this big thing in Midtown um, for people in Chicago. Uh, think about kind of Magnificent Mile, uh, kind of the wealthier middle of the city where white people hang out. Um, and so the groups of kids from the, the, the black community were going there and sticking up um, white folks for their money on Saturday afternoon the evenings and kind of ruining the quality of life there. We worked out a negotiated plea uh, with the uh, district attorney under Fani uh, that would have been a robbery charge, a first offender, and would have got the kid out of you know, three to five years. He'd be able to clean his record up and um, uh, and hopefully you know, revive and rehabilitate his life. His aunt who hired me had cancer at the time, so she didn't want to take the plea deal because she didn't want him to you know spend her last years of life um, in jail. Uh, 
Um, she died from stage four cancer a couple weeks later. So I go back to Fani and say, well, can we uh, take the plea now since the aunt has died? I think it was a good plea deal. Fani said, well, we should have took it the first time. And uh, he's still in jail now. That was, they ended up giving him 10 years in the case. So the reason I bring this up is Fonnie is not someone who's a, a wilting daisy. She doesn't care about your dying aunt or her cancer. She doesn't care that you were 16 when you were an offender. Um, she's going to prosecute the hell out of you. And I think that these Republicans need to understand that uh, you're not dealing with like some ho-hum country girl who's just going to go on to get along or she's going to intimidate or scare. Uh, she's, uh, people talked, wanted to get rid of Paul Howard because of his corruption. They brought in somebody who was a true blue uh, prosecutor, a career in the prosecutor's office. So I think they're going to have a hard time trying to take power away from her because at the end of the day, the reason some of these Republicans in the Senate or in the uh, state house want to get rid of um, the powers of Fonnie Willis is they know that they're complicit and the attempts to overthrow the gov- uh, overthrow the election. They know they are c- complicit in trying to help Donald Trump to pressure local elected officials into swing the election in his favor. They damn right might be complicit in almost treason in this situation. So they are shaking their boots just as much as Young Thug and YSL and these other uh, rappers and gang members are shaking their boots because they understand that this is an unflappable form of prosecution. There won't be an easy way uh, for them to get out of it. Mm. C.K., what will you be talking about at 10 o'clock Central Standard Time, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on your radio show today? Well, we're going to start talking about Selma because we're going to have some people who were in Selma, including mm-hmm. your father. And then we are going to talk about Bonnie Willis and this, this new move to get her out of office and what the ramifications are. What are the legal ramifications of that? What will that mean in the state of Georgia? And I'm also going to be on Court TV at 9 o'clock today, Santita. Hello. And the whole myriad of issues. Thank you for sticking that in. I'm glad I asked you. <laughs> Attorney C.K. Hoffler, I love you. She's on Court TV today. In just a few minutes, about 30 minutes, we're going to be talking with John Nichols about this big win that the progressive got on the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. What will it mean? Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. We can change the world, change the world, change the world. We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. You know it's Tuesday. It's 730. You know what time it is. It's time for John Nichols. And so, of course, the national correspondent for The Nation magazine, as we are looking at this law and order, crime, 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 Chicago mayoral campaign, we have also got something. It's, it's, it's the zeitgeist. It's the spirit of the times, everybody. This is what you're kind of looking at with the Wisconsin State Supreme Court race. Who's going to fill that seat? Well, it looks like a progressive might get that seat. They, too, have a, run, a general election. We have a runoff on April 4th. Uh, what's going to happen? Uh, this is a hu- This could be a huge victory uh, for people who defend reproductive rights for people who seek fair elections and have them and and have them protected and on and on and on and on. So 
talk to us? Because we've been talking about uh, what's been happening in Atlanta, John Nichols, you know, with the mm-hmm. uh, with the people who've been protesting the militarization of the United States, and of course. Uh, seeking to burn down the police training facility that's, you know, on this 85-acre plot of land in Atlanta. Um, We've got uh, Dwight McKee and Attorney Robert Patillo from Rainbow Push with us. And then we're looking at this race. And, you know, as we look at Ahmaud Arbery's case, as we look at George Floyd's case, please, as we look at all of these cases that are in our faces now, we really see how important the judges are. And these are the judges who are not on the Supreme Court, right? I mean, That's but right. we have we are actually more focused on the U.S. Supreme Court than ever before, um, which is more corporatized than ever before. They actually have more more corporate friendly rulings than they've ever had in the history of the republic. So, what what happened in Wisconsin, and why is that so consequential, particularly in this, I would say, in this dynamic political time? Well. You set it up very well. And this is the thing to understand. In 38 of the 50 states, and of course we always recognize the District of Columbia, um, judges are elected. They are either elected directly or they are elected through judicial retention elections. Traditionally, these elections were pretty low profile, but that has changed now, over the last 20 years or so. Elections for state Supreme Court in states across the country have become highly politicized. And back in the you know two, the early 2000s, right-wing donors started to pour money into these races. They, they sought to influence them. Uh, and these were very corporate folks, very um, politically connected folks. And that money did have an influence. You saw a lot of courts across the country become far more conservative. They became equivalents to what the U.S. Supreme Court has been of late. And that started to really have an impact because, to give you a quick example, in Wisconsin, a little over a decade ago, Scott Walker came in, the former governor, and he uh, wrote sweeping laws that undermined labor rights. They made it difficult to organize unions, to collectively bargain. It was one of the most aggressive anti-union initiatives in the history of the country. And it went way over the top. And yet when it was brought to the court, the court said, oh, that's fine, Scott Walker, you can do what you want. When Scott Walker and his friends redrew legislative districts so that they were no longer competitive, so that Republicans would overwhelmingly win, no matter what the the result of a gen- general election was, um, the court said, oh, that's fine. We don't have to have competitive elections. Um, and on issue after issue after issue, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and like some courts in other states, became a rubber or very conservative Republicans in power. Now, what got interesting in Wisconsin is about five years ago, five, six years ago, um, progressives started to organize. They started to focus on the courts. They didn't neglect them anymore. And uh, in 2018, a progressive, Rebecca Dallet, got elected to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. In 2020, Jill Karofsky, a progressive, defeated a conservative Supreme Court justice and was elected. And so that created a court that's now three progressives on it and four conservatives. This year, one of the conservatives is stepping down. So it's an open seat. Whoever wins this seat will tip the balance of the court. It will either be conservative or progressive. And that's where we're at right now. And if the progressive candidate, Janet Protosiewicz, wins on April 4th, 
the Wisconsin Supreme Court will have a clear progressive majority, and that majority will, as you suggest, or has you know signaled that, as you suggest, that it will protect the right to choose. Um, it will examine those gerrymandered district lines to create fairer elections. It will look at uh, the abusive treatment of labor and working class people in the state. It will stand up for civil rights and civil liberties. Um, essentially, it will become a court that, that judges cases you know, based on the rule of law and the Constitution rather than right-wing judicial activism. This is a dramatic shift, and it comes in a battleground state. Wisconsin is a state that is always up for grabs in presidential elections and in state elections. It's a very closely divided state. And so that becomes incredibly important for 2024. It's a, it, if the progressives have a majority, there will be a guarantee uh, or should be a guarantee that voting rights will be protected. So bottom line is what? Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Because I mean, no, because the bottom line is what? Because because this to me, it's very interesting that this is happening now. You know, I mean, because it seems like the country is pulling right and left, left and right, right and left, left and right. What's happening? What's the bottom line? And what is happening in Wisconsin? Because Wisconsin is as conservative as it is progressive, I must say. You know what I think about it. Close, closely divided state. It's a state that sends Ron Johnson, one of the most conservative members of the Senate. It also sends Tammy Baldwin, one of the most progressive members. So that division is real and it's it's rough. It, it makes every election intense, super expensive. This will be the most expensive Supreme Court race, not just in the history of Wisconsin, but in the history of the United States. It will defeat all spending records because money's pouring in. And what's at stake is this. I'll give you one example. If this court redraws the lines to have fair elections, not gerrymandered elections, but fair elections, the legislature and for Congress... You could have as many as two more congressional seats that Democrats could win. You could have dozens of legislative seats that Democrats could win. Why does this matter? Because when you look at how closely the House of Representatives is divided. I mean, this is this is literally an election for the Supreme Court that could have an impact on next year's congressional elections. And then think also of the presidential election. Wisconsin was one of these contested states where former President Trump tried to overturn the results. He's still disputing them. Well, if you have a Supreme Court that is clearly on the side of free and fair elections, um, that isn't going to let that nonsense influence it or overwhelm it, um, then you provide a much greater assurance that the 2024 election will be fairly decided. So all these things that we were talking about on the national level come back to the state in, in every case, but in this case, coming back to the state of Wisconsin. And I will tell you this, on April 4th, the media will be intensely focused, uh, not in Washington, not in New York, not in Los Angeles, but here in the upper Midwest, right, in the Chicago area, looking at that mayoral race, that incredible mayoral race that's playing out, and right over the border in Wisconsin where we have this Supreme Court race. And frankly, that's as it should be. Our politics shouldn't always play out in Washington. It shouldn't always be on the East Coast or the West Coast. Here in the middle of America, we're going to get a signal, and it could be a mixed signal, or it could be a very powerful signal about the direction this country is going. So these two elections, both Wisconsin and Chicago, are huge. But it's just it's and 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 you see 
the pull and push of you know yes. corporate forces and populist forces of um of the, of the of the will of the people and and you know and the and the desires if you will of the of the corporatocracy you're just seeing it you see it played out are you not supposed to have a judiciary that's not supposed to be politicized though <laughs> i mean well, i'm just are. asking yeah no of <laughs> no. course but you see we have we Santita, this is that's such a good question why would you laugh at me well, because well, you shouldn't be hurt. I was laughing at how, how you went right to the heart of the matter. Oh, come on, I'm having fun with you, but it's just you know, wow. No, but this is but you see, you're exactly right to go to that point because that's something that people wrestle with, and what we should understand is that we have two conflicting realities. In a lot of states, we want to have an elected judiciary. Why do you want an elected judiciary? Because the people who have the power to decide, you know, your economic issues, your freedom issues, uh, to decide whether you go to jail or not. These people who have all this power, they ought to be responsive, not to powerful elites, but to the citizens. So an elected judiciary has an appeal in that regard. But if you have an elected judiciary, then you get all the pathologies of elections, money in politics, you know, all the you know pressures and influences of, of elections. And, and so... It's a conflict, and it's a difficulty, and these candidates, uh, you know, have really struggled with this. I see it all the time where sometimes they say, well, I probably shouldn't talk about issues because um, I don't want to make it look like I'm going to prejudge cases. I'm going to, you know, have an opinion, and I won't hear what comes. On the other hand, it's an election, and so people want to know what your values are, where you come from. And in Wisconsin, um, Janet Protasewicz, the judge who is, is running the progressive. Um, one of the things that she has done is to say she won't talk about cases. She's not going to talk about specific cases and tell you what she would do on them. But she will tell you her values. She will tell you what she believes. And it's been very, very powerful. I think it's had a good impact for her campaign. She has said, look, she is pro-choice. She is um, in favor of labor rights. In fact, she was a you know union activist or a union member. Um, and interestingly enough, perhaps most important, she is in favor of robust and fair and functional democracy, that, that she believes that the courts have a duty in making sure that elections are free and fair. And so she's been outspoken about this, and it seems like voters have responded well. In the primary, she got 46% of the vote, almost a majority. And um, the conservative, there are two conservative candidates, they split the conservative vote, um, but then another progressive Everett Mitchell, a very fine judge from the Madison area, he got about 8% of the vote. So in the primary, progressives got about 54% of the vote. It was a pretty strong progressive lean there. And, um, and I think part of that is that voters know that many of these courts, including the court in Wisconsin, have just gone way too far to the right. They've become rubber stamps for Republican legislatures and for corporate donors, and they have not had it in their interest to be, as you well suggest, um, fair and nonpartisan arbiters of the law. Um, and so I think that a lot of Wisconsinites see this as an opportunity to get a balance back on the court, get this court back toward a place where cases will come before it and um, the decisions will be you know, closer to the mainstream of the law 
and frankly of the values of Wisconsin. So that's why I think this is this is such a big challenge because um, you know Wisconsin, since Scott Walker was elected governor, has really been a very politically chaotic state. Uh, it's it has had uh, a lot of extreme decisions and a lot of extreme uh, results. Uh, there is in the last few years some indication that Wisconsinites want to get you know, back towards something that is kind of more like what Wisconsin had been, and that is they voted for uh, progressives in 2018. They voted for Joe Biden in 2020. They reelected a progressive governor in 2022, Tony Evers. Um, that doesn't mean the states become, you know, big progressive state because there's a real close divide. Mandela Barnes, a great Senate candidate, was narrowly defeated. But there does seem to be a pattern moving toward progressivism, and this election will send a very powerful signal one way or the other. You know, uh, we're talking with, of course, the national correspondent for The Nation magazine, regular on this show, part of the family, John Nichols, about really just really about our judiciary on the yeah. federal and state levels. I mean, and I've got attorney Robert Patillo. Of course, he's on WAOK, <clears throat> excuse me, down in Atlanta from Rainbow Push. And, uh, and of course, social scientist, brilliant Dwight McKee, as they are listening in because they wanted to hear what you had to say. You know, in, in Atlanta... Uh, you're looking at the you're looking at Fonnie Willis, the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. The Republican mm-hmm. legislature can undo her if not get her pushed out of office. And just very quickly, just b- very quickly, I want to hear from Robert. What would it mean to have, say, a Democratic legislature? I mean, you know, when you when you look at what's happening to Fonnie Willis, when you look at, I mean, just people who would not be inclined to. Uh, who would be inclined to to fight for uh, free and fair elections? Uh, who would be f- inclined to fight for to to let her do her job, for example? I mean, what w- what would it mean for you to have a Supreme Court like this, or or people like this in office, Robert Patillo? Well, you know, the, the the good thing is that we don't have to talk about it as a uh, uh, as a fantasy because years ago that was the reality. We had. Um, uh, Leah Ward Sears, who was the first African American female Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice of Georgia Supreme Court, we used to have a more progressive leaning court, a more balanced state legislature, where it wasn't complete one party rule and one party domination, as we've seen for the past decade and a half here in Georgia. Then the ability for prosecutors to simply do their job without the political interference, I think, will be uh, will be transformative for a state like Georgia and the, any other state in the nation. Because right now what we're seeing is um, politicians putting their thumb on the scale when it comes to deciding uh, what happens in the judiciary. We're seeing something similar happen in North Carolina, where Sherry Beasley was previously on the Supreme Court and now uh, is taking more of a rightward turn on issues of voting rights and uh, uh, and redistricting and gerrymandering, etc. We have to remember that in apartheid South Africa, uh, once they realized they could no longer hold on to political power, that the uh, the white ruling population trenched themselves into the nation's bureaucracy, put themselves in the judiciary, into the uh, agencies, into the administrative aspects of government that were unelected in order to continue to exert power. This is what we're seeing in places like Georgia, where the demographics are changing. It's going from a blue to a pur- or from a red to a purple to a blue 
state that we're seeing nationally that as Republicans lose the uh, population share, if they lose voting share, they haven't won a popular vote since George Bush in 2004, that they are entrenching themselves in the judiciary system and bureaucracy of America in order to continue to exert control far beyond their political depth. Hmm. Dwight McKee, you want to comment? Because this well, is... I think Robert... Mm-hmm. I think Robert covered it. I think you're going to find that same backlash to Kim Fox in Chicago. If uh, the people like feel like she's locking, not locking up enough of these young black guys that they see as out of control. I think you're going to see a national backlash to some of these prosecutors who they see as liberal. Uh, first, directly through the election process in terms of a backlash in terms of them electing right-wing mayors. But then I also think you'll have to see direct confrontation where you're going to see a series of recalls or attempted recalls where they're going heads up with the prosecutors themselves. Hmm. I mean, well, I mean, you, you're hearing from some people from around the country, John. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I hope that she wins. I do, because I think we, we obviously need the balance. And maybe I shouldn't be that concerned about the backlash, but I'm clear that it's coming. I mean, and how does it manifest in Wisconsin? I mean, how how how, how will all of this work? I mean, will you now start seeing happened. cases on abortion rights? Will you now start seeing cases on on gerrymandering? I mean, if she gets in, well, I mean, what's going to happen? Well, let's be clear: the backlash already has come. Oh, we have seen it, right? And so we have a backlash, and then we have uh, a response to that. And what I think has happened across the country is that, you know, both sides, and it's sad that in a sense that we say both sides, but that is the reality, right? We, we have very little governing going on. You have instead, you know, a positioning, you know, on the right and the left. But both sides now know um, what's at stake. They're, they aren't getting surprised. There's not an unexpected development. Um, and so... As a result, there is, there's a bit more clarity, and that's what you're seeing in Wisconsin. For a number of years in Wisconsin, uh, very conservative forces with a lot of out-of-state money were very, very successful in judicial races across the state and at the statewide level because progressives weren't that organized. They just figured, well, judicial races are very important, and, of course, we may have a favorite or that. But they didn't put a lot of they didn't put the level of energy in that the conservatives did, and so the conservatives ended up with domination on the court. That domination allowed them to lock in the backlash. So when the legislature attacked voting rights, as it did, um, and then cases came to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said, "Oh, yep, you can do what you want." When the legislature um, gerrymandered the districts so that they were no longer competitive, so that Republicans would always win. Supreme Court said, oh, yeah, you can do what you want. And so you had this situation where the backlash literally was being baked in by the court. Now you have progressives who, over really a five or six year period, have, you know, slowly won back seats on the court. If in this April 4 election, they win this fourth seat, so it's a 4 3 progressive majority, suddenly you have a chance to revisit all those cases that, that were there. And, the, and I will say that certainly the abortion case, the abortion rights case will be critical. It will be the one that gets the most attention. Uh, but those voting rights cases, those are the ones that really kind of open up the processes of the state. 
uh, recognize this. If fair maps are drawn for the state legislature, and then in fair elections, Democrats get majorities in the Assembly and the state Senate, then Governor Tony Evers, a progressive Democratic governor, won't be just vetoing bad proposals for the legislature. He will actually be enacting an agenda, which he himself says has among its goals economic and social and racial justice. So that's what a big deal this is. It is whether you can actually have the will of the people expressed in the laws of the state. And boy, if that happens in one state, in Wisconsin, a very you know tightly contested battleground state, I think it becomes an inspiration for folks in North Carolina and other places. And ultimately, there will always be a backlash. It always comes. Mm-hmm. But um, what we're talking about now is whether you build institutions that are strong enough to resist the backlash instead of rubber stamping it and supporting it as the state Supreme Court in Wisconsin has for a number of years, it could become what you want the courts to be. And that is a fair arbiter, a fair analyst of the fights that are taking place that ultimately says, no, you cannot go to the extreme so that, as is the case in Wisconsin, Democrats could win the clear majority of votes statewide for legislative seats and yet Republicans would maintain two-thirds of the seats. That is an unfair system. It is an unfair map. You can't have that. Boy, if the courts in Wisconsin were simply to say that, then suddenly everything begins to open up, not just for elections, but for what would be possible in governing. Just very very quickly, though, I've got about a minute and a half left. How does one camp, how is she campaigning? You know, in this sharply divided uh, state, how do how does one campaign give us a template that would work well, any place? Well, you have to speak to rural voters, not just urban voters and not just suburban voters. One of the mistakes that's happened is that in so much of our politics, there's been an assumption that rural areas are always going to be Republican. Urban areas are always going to be Democratic and the suburbs are up for grabs. What this progressive candidate, Wisconsin, Janet Protosiewicz, has done is to go to every corner of the state, even those most rural areas, and believe that you can you can find people there who want to get out of the, the mess that we're in. But she's also had a tremendous level of organizing in the urban areas and a lot of outreach to the suburbs. So that's, that's the bottom line. It, it, we think of judicial races as somehow different than uh, races for governor or senator, and historically mm-hmm. they were. In reality now, the template is to... Go and campaign to meet people because you're asking them to let you to be their judge, right, to, to determine their future uh, from the bench. And as such, they have to trust you. And so Janet Protosiewicz has been doing, he's been working very hard, going to a lot of places around Wisconsin. Hmm. And we will see April 4th. She could do yes, it, everybody. And it could be done every place else. But you got to go and speak to everyone everywhere and help them to see their buy-in. We all yep. win together, yep. everybody. Progressive, conservative, whatever it is. We've got to win together. Together. Everybody in, nobody out. Of course, the brilliant John Nichols, my dear brother, beloved, I'm always so glad to have you every Tuesday at 730 here on the Santita Jackson Show. And of course, coming up, C.K. Hoffler on Court TV. And then an hour after that, she'll be on her own radio show on WAOK and on WAOK on Sundays, 1 to 4 Eastern Standard Time, Robert Patillo. And of course, Dwight McKee throughout the week. I know I drive him nuts, but that's all right. (laughs) I love you all, everybody. Can't wait to be with you tomorrow, God willing. I'm Santita Jackson. God bless you. Have a great day.